Have you ever felt frustrated because you just couldn't find a lovely book to read? I can start to crave not just a good book, but a book that draws me in and evokes such a deep emotion that I can say, wow, that was a lovely book. Welcome friends, this is Emmy B on Lovely Books Podcast, where it's my job to highlight the lovely books that keep you reading and connect you to the world. If you're new to Lovely Books, this podcast is more than just a best books podcast. It's about the reader's experience and takeaway. No book reviews, no analysis of literary content, just thoughts and personal anecdotes brought to our minds by the characters and subject matter that we love. That's what brings the book to life for you. I hope we give you something to think about, something to laugh about, and something lovely to read. I knew from the moment I saw the cover of this book that I would love Where the Lost Wander um, by Amy Harmon. It's Pioneer Day in Utah, and so it's a perfect time to discuss this lovely read that I have literally been recommending to everyone. I'm here with my mother. Say hi, mother. Hi. <laughs> um, and I'm excited to talk about this book with her because um, she has a lot of understanding to why I felt so connected to it and why I loved it so much. So this is one of my top reads for the year, first of all. I think Amy Harmon is an absolutely brilliant storyteller. Um, and the story really speaks to many defining aspects of who I am and what I value. Um, her writing is in stream of consciousness and she alternates between the two main characters, John Lowry, who is half white and half Native American Indian from the Pawnee tribe, and then um, Naomi May, who is traveling with her family um, to the West Coast along the Oregon Trail. Um, and Amy Harmon, she immediately draws you into both of their worlds and she gives you, even though they're such polarizing characters, I feel like she gives, we get equal empathy for both sides. Yes. Did you feel like we really got pulled leaning towards like the settler's point of view or the Indian point of view? I thought it was pretty equal. Yeah. I think yeah. she did a really good job not taking a side in the tragedy even. Yes. As it you know, unrolls in this book that you, from the beginning, you have such empathy for the oh. pioneers crossing the plains and the Indians who are living in their homes in this wilderness. So I love that. You know, through this book, we really get involved in all the aspects of what it would be like to travel along the Oregon Trail. And just because Pioneer Day is coming, I have to tell you, I was talking to my kids um, this past weekend about, you know, the pioneer sacrifice and trying to give them an idea of what it would be like to leave your home and never seen them again. Probably built. Yeah. Yes. And what would you take and think about the contents of your bedroom and what you could take? Because I imagine in my head that a wagon is like a car. Like you could load it yeah. up like a car. I mean, I know they put some furniture in there, but in terms of personal belongings... Like, what could you put in your seat and in the top carrier? And they were restricted by poundage a yeah. lot of times. I think having my kids think about, we're leaving and never coming back. What are you taking with you? Yeah, it was kind of like, you know. Also, the other thing we talked about, which was kind of fun, is um, the idea of walking and walking and walking and walking and walking. Because we went... Um, so I live in the mouth of Big and right in between Big and Little Cottonwood Canyon, and we went 
last week to the Temple Quarry Trail. It's July, so it was 90-something degrees. And this is like a quarter-mile stroll around this trail where you get to look up at these big granite slabs. We were like 500 feet on the trail. And they were... Oh, it's so hot. Can I go back to the car? Why do we have to do this? I just want to go home. And it was so funny because, like, we just don't have... But then they get into the car and go, give me a drink of water. Oh, it's not cold enough. Right? It's not cold enough and my Slurpee melted. So (laughs) since it was actually on 7-Eleven and we had our free 7-Eleven Slurpees. Anyway, so these are all the fun things this book makes me think about. But I really wasn't, when I was reading it, I wasn't expecting the roller coaster of emotions that this book took me through. Yes. Because as much respect as I have for this pioneer heritage that I have from your side of the family. Yes. Um... I really wasn't expecting to be so emotional and so emotionally drawn in um, with both sides, with real respect for my pioneer heritage, but also remembering and really, it really drew out of me the love that I have for the Native American Indian culture. I love the Native American Indian culture. And you always have. My whole life. Yes. So why? When you were little. So why? Why do you think that is? Um, I think for some reason it just struck a chord with you um, and your appreciation of nature and uh, your respect for it. When you were very young, you came to me one day and said, Mom, um, the, the food that is best for us to eat is food that's been out in the sun. So not processed things, but fresh fruits and vegetables and um, those kinds of things. And you were really young. And I don't know where that came from. And I still... Except you were born with it. And I still, I mean, I die for the farmer's market. And especially in the fall, um, I used to have apple trees in my yard and I don't anymore. And I miss them because there's nothing like an apple straight off the tree. And so in the fall, I, I can't eat grocery store apples. <laughs> I have to have them from the farmer's market. And what happens if I don't have any in my house? You have to call your mother and tell her to go to the farmer's I market call, and get a bushel of apples. I totally call my mom because she lives closer to a farmer's market than I do and say, please, I need a box of apples. I just can't yep. eat the ones at the store. So that's something... Um, so it's just something that I really have always connected with. Even even now, you know, in the summertime in the air conditioned house, like when my kids get restless and they get restless, I, I tell them like you need to go outside in your bare feet and stand in the sun. Yes. Feel the dirt on your feet. Yeah. And the sun on your face. Yeah, you gotta do it. So um I remember going to Crazy Horse Monument and that really stuck with me when I was a kid. I was probably 10? Maybe. Maybe younger than that. Mm-hmm. I got moccasins Yep. as my like one souvenir I was allowed to have, and I loved them. They were gray, and they had fringe. <laughs> what more t- could you ask I mean, for? I totally still remember them. Um, one of my very most favorite books from my childhood, um, the title of it is Brother Eagle's Sister Sky, and it's illustrated by these beautiful paintings by Susan Jeffers, and it is um, a speech given by... 
an Indian chief named Chief Seattle, where he sort of poetically captures the central beliefs of the Native American Indians. And my favorite part says, the voice of my grandmother said to me, teach your children what you have been taught. The earth is our mother. What befalls the earth befalls the sons and daughters of the earth. Exactly what happened. It's, you know, the more we've consumed and the more we've taken, the more we've become consumed and the more has been taken from us. You know what I mean? It's just, it's so beautiful. It makes so much sense to me. So I really, I really appreciate um, the light that Amy Harmon sort of is shining on this culture. Um, One of the other things, um, the other aspects and sort of values of Native Americans that I really felt present in this is that um, they really had within their different tribes, like a really strong moral code. Yes. In terms of what was right and what wasn't right. Um, they, the tribes were known to each other. They weren't like wild savages. No. I mean, it was an organized culture of, of leaders and people. And they had the things that they did. They had a way of living. It was organized. It wasn't chaotic. They knew where to go for what they needed. They knew how much they needed. They traveled in families. I mean, it was, it was a civilized culture, I think, yeah. just because they didn't, I mean, we think that to be a civilized culture, you have to, you know, put down, put stakes in the ground and build a structure and they, their civilization just, just existed in a different way. But one of the morals, um, that was regularly evident in this book that I really appreciated is this idea of not taking what isn't yours. So there's this moment where, um, the main character, Naomi, she's actually been kidnapped um, by some Pawnee Indians um, after they have this awful interaction. And when John Lowry goes to get her back and they're brought before the Indian council and they ask, and I actually, I want to read this excerpt because it's just so, it's so straightforward. um, And I I feel like it just really illustrates how their culture was. This is John Lowry talking to Naomi. He's basically telling her that they want to ask some questions. And he says, Naomi, they want you to answer their questions. I say in Shoshone and then in English, doing my best to ignore him. Um, She nods, her eyes clinging to my face. Who is this man? The old chief says to Naomi, pointing at me. I translate. John Lowry, he is my husband. Her voice breaks and she says it again louder. Who is the child? The chief asks, pointing to Wolf. He is my brother, Naomi responds. Who killed first? The old chief asked Naomi, and she hesitates, her chest rising and falling in distress. We didn't see them. We didn't know they were there. It was an accident, Naomi pleads. And when I translate, Pocatello, who's this other chief, begins to yell. And it goes on, and they're trying to decide whether or not to release these two that have been kidnapped. They say, you know, in the end, the old chief says, take the woman and go in peace, because in this altercation, um, one one Indian dies, and so it's a son for a son, but take your, your woman and go in peace because we can't take, as a tribe, what doesn't belong to us. Things are people. And there's points where they, you know, like they steal horses, but in sport. Or horses have been taken from them. Yeah, and they take them back. So you're right. It's, it's just like, game. you know, like, I'll steal from you, you steal from me. All of these little things tied together just created this beautiful portrait of Native American life, which I really appreciated. So then we have, on the other side, we have the story of crossing the plains. And I think we always know how tragic that is. I 
I played the Oregon Trail when I was young on the computer. <laughs> do you remember the Oregon Trail? Yes, I do. I mean, I don't think I ever lived. You know, the funny thing is, is most people listening to this are not going to have any idea. Mm-mm. I'm sorry, we're old. <laughs> it was a early, early computer, computer game. game that was in the schools yeah, to teach the kids about the history of their state yeah, and where people came from. So what they had to do was they had so much money and they had to buy supplies at certain places. Yeah. They had to do certain things yeah, we had to, to see do, if they like, could make it Do all we the way stay across. here for the winter? Like there's a storm. Do you keep going? And then you get like a little box pops up and says... You know, you died. You died. You have cholera. (laughs) Right? Yes. Okay, so it was totally the funnest. So, like, we know how tragic it was. But the part that really struck me now as a mother, especially reading this book, is there's a point where they're walking down the trail and um, as sickness sets in and they get farther and they start to see these little makeshift headstones. And the majority are babies. Would you say the majority? Do you a remember? lot. Yeah. A lot of babies. And Naomi is really focused on this. And she's walking with her mother who has a baby. Every time they pass these things, Naomi is just telling her mother, like, age, it's another one, died of this, you know. And her mom finally just has to say, like, stop. Like, I can't, I can't take, I can't take that. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that really struck me to look at my own kids where I have the, an age gap of three year old to 13 year old and think, you know, of these different ages of people who are dying along the way. And it's crazy because the people who decided to cross the plains, they were committed. They were committed. Yes. And there's a point when this family, the May family, um, they, they come to a point and they've suffered through sickness and bad water and weird weather, you know, where they're wind, which I was kind of a surprising thing for me. I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting wind, but I guess when you go through that central hurricane alley, yeah. you're, <laughs> you're going to get wind. Um, and they say, you know, if we're going to turn back, now's the time. And what do they do? They kept going. Yeah. And I just thought it was really cool what the mom said is ma said we have more ahead of us than behind us yeah than what we've left behind and i i mean that's so hopeful and i think we forget how difficult those times were and how they had to be to think that going someplace you it's not like you could call someone and be like hey how's the weather in california like how's the economy doing you know but they just have this hope that they had so much ahead of them that it was worth sacrificing everything Everything. along the way. Um, Do you think that people who decided to go along the path, do you think they knew how many people had died ahead of them? Probably not. I don't think so either. Um, And and more probably, you know, the later ones that went, but certainly those first ones. Right, which is something that kind of blows my mind in this day and age because can you imagine getting on an airplane and having someone say, okay, I just want to let you know that by the time this plane lands, 
three out of the seven members of your family will be dead. Do you still want to get on? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about the sacrifice. And we have, like I mentioned before, we have family who traveled um, part of the Oregon Trail with the Martin and Willie Handcart Company, who, you know, is a handcart company that's pretty famous in Salt Lake City um, because they hit a winter storm. Yes, and they the, left late. They left late. They hit a winter storm. There was like nine to 13 feet of snow in Immigration Canyon and what's now Immigration Canyon. They sent a party out from Salt Lake City to rescue yes, these people. And we actually have an ancestor. Um, a, she's got to be like a great, great grandmother to me whose feet froze. As a child walking across the plains. Mm-hmm. And when she got here to Utah, they wanted to take her feet. The doctors wanted to amputate her feet. And her father said, we did not walk all this way for you to cut off her feet. Yeah. And she walked with a limp for the rest of her life, but she kept her feet. Yes, she did. Yeah. Um, a, a woman came to their house one day, told them that if they would put stakes on her feet. Like beef? Beef steaks. That's crazy. That they would get better, and they did. That's just so crazy. I think, you know, there's so much sacrifice since I'm here, and it's Pioneer Day. Um, it always frustrates me when people in Utah, but I almost feel like in the United States in general, when people say, oh, you know, well, I don't have any Pioneer heritage. If you're not Native American Indian, and you live in America, you yeah. have Pioneer heritage. You have... There is a pioneer. You don't. Ha I feel like you don't have to cross the plains to be a pioneer in your family. You know, in order for America to be the melting pot that it is now, people came from everywhere, um, and they stayed. So on my mom's side of the family, they came from England. My dad's side of the family, they came from Holland because they wanted to come to America, which was the land of milk and honey. They came here and froze to death. Literally, like the first winter, they froze. And I actually have... Um, Sort of a, I want to say a little family story that was written by, these are all the fun things that I've been thinking about since reading this book. Um, it was actually written by a family member. So she would have been a great, a great, great aunt. And it's so funny because this is written in 1925, but she opens it um, with these words. In these days of fast and luxurious transportation, comfortable homes and many modern conveniences, which are available even to people in moderate circumstances, we seldom think of the privations and hardships endured by the pioneers. And that's in 1925. So my grandfather, who's um, born and raised in Minneapolis, like he didn't have running water until high school. So this is 1925, southern Minnesota, on a farm. I imagine they may have had water inside, but I imagine they were still working with wells and some other form of irrigation, so I don't know. Um, but anyway, she goes on to say that... Um, the folks had expected to find America a land overflowing with milk and honey, but they were so sadly disappointed and homesick that had it been possible, they would have returned to their native land. Um, their first here, their first winter here, their grandfather died. They go, I mean, they just go on and talk about all the, all the death and the cold and the first house that they lived in um, was infested with rats. And, you know, all these hardships, all these things that people sacrificed to get me here to Salt Lake City, to America, at this time, you know, I'm just really grateful. And this book really brought that to light for me. 
Amy Herman's brilliant. Her writing just draws you in. It really makes you think. It gave me such an incredible sense of gratitude. And the book was so well crafted. Oh, it was so well crafted. Because the prologue just gave you a glimpse of, of the high point of the conflict. Yeah. And so you continued to read going, when is that coming? When, when is, is that, that coming? coming? <laughs> when is that coming? People are still experiencing so much conflict. And prejudice. And prejudice. And I think this book was a great reminder of that in a, a way I wasn't expecting. So everybody go read this book. If you are interested in other books of the same topic, if this is something that you're interested in and that you love, I feel like there's not a lot of um, Native American Indian popular fiction, hmm. right? So, and I kind of look for it because it's something I really love. So I'm going to share a couple books, um, some recommendations if this is a genre that you're interested in. So the first one um, is called The Education of Little, Little Tree, and it's written by Forrest Carter. This is, um, this is a young adult fiction book. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, a book I read last year, and it was a Pulitzer Prize finalist, is There There by Tommy Orange. And this is a more contemporary fiction, um, and it's a debut novel for him. And it's really, um, it, it kind of takes on uh, contemporary Native American communities. And then um, this last one is a work of fiction. Um, it's called A Thousand White Women. It's actually based on something that happened historically, um, but it has a twist. Uh, it's called One Thousand White Women, um, The Journals of May Dodd, and it is by Jim Fergus. It's by Jim Fergus. Um, and these these three, along with Brother Eagle's Sister Sky, which is an illust a beautifully illustrated children's book, are what I would recommend. Also, my, the book my mom is reading, she's reading this great book. 1491. <laughs> it's called 1491, and it's a book by Charles C. Mann. Um, and it talks about... It this talks about the Native American Indians, how many there were, uh, the, the false teachings that education has purported about the American Indians right before Columbus came and when Columbus came. And time and again, he notes the fact that we've always been told that there weren't very many Native American Indians, that there was no structure to their culture or the way that they lived, um, that they all ran around in hardly anything. In cloth. <laughs> And um, and didn't have homes and those kinds of things, things and how wrong, how incorrect that is. Which I think is great, especially right now for our time, because I think now is a time where we, we're, we're really starting to understand the biases that have been taught in the history books. And I think people are really looking for um, for more accurate information and people are more willing to accept that there is more accurate information available. So those are some great book recommendations. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, so if you like what you heard here today, please comment, subscribe, like, and leave a review. I really need some reviews. And also you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Lovely Books Podcast. Um, hope you'll listen in next week as we highlight another lovely book. 